Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Coronavirus in Sports. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray. Today, we talk to SI contributor Brian Burnsett to discuss coronavirus' impact on an athlete's intense training regimen, as well as rare but possible health complications if tested positive for COVID-19. First, here's a recap of the weekend's developments around coronavirus and sports. On Saturday, President Donald Trump held a conference call with numerous major league sports commissioners to discuss the current state of each league, their respective franchises, and when a return to action could eventually happen. According to reports, Trump wants fans back in stadiums and arenas by August and September. The call included commissioners and executives from the NFL, the NBA, as well as Major League Baseball, NHL, MLS, the WNBA, and many others. It did not, however, include the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, leaving Commissioner Lisa Bird unhappy with the decision. In addition, no rep from the NCAA was on the call. Shortly after Trump's statement, where he said he wanted the NFL to start in September, California Governor Gavin Newsom addressed his concerns during his daily briefing. Quote, I'm not anticipating that happening in this state. Despite the fact that millions of athletes around the U.S., from high school to professional, may not essentially be considered in the high-risk category when it comes to the complications of COVID-19, there is still the inevitable outcome that thousands will be affected more deeply than others, from respiratory concerns to getting back to peak condition after unprecedented time away from gyms or training facilities, the problems surrounding an athlete's well-being both mental and physical, are more complicated than we may think. With that being said, sports aside, what kind of direct damage is COVID-19 having on an athlete? Joining us now is SI contributor Brian Burnsett. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
Brian, let's get straight into it. You have a really interesting piece on the science of how COVID-19 affects athletes specifically. Tell us about the story and what surprised you the most to learn. So we initially pitched it because we wanted to dig into, okay, inevitably athletes are going to contract this across all levels, high school, college, pro. Uh, how might it affect their bodies? How might it affect their careers, et cetera? And while some are certainly bound to be affected, at least in the near term, I mean, given the numbers we're seeing, inevitably some will have to be hospitalized probably. It doesn't seem that it's going to have terrible long-term consequences for them. Again, the data is early and we're not quite sure, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, but what revealed itself through the reporting and what I found to be more interesting was that every athlete is going to be affected whether they contract the virus or not, because not only are they away from campuses or their pro training facilities, but their gyms at home are closed, for instance. Um, the gyms in their neighborhood are closed. Their training facilities that they might use in the off season are closed, and they're having to train at home. Unless you have an elaborate home gym like, say, LeBron James, inevitably it's going to be hard for you to maintain the level of elite conditioning, even off-season conditioning that you would in an in a otherwise normal environment. And that's going to impact every single athlete uh, whenever sports return, whether that's weeks from now, month, more likely it seems now months from now, uh, that sort of layoff is going to create deficits in their cardiovascular conditioning, their strength. And we'll be asking a lot of them to come back to full speed uh, when we want sports to return so quickly whenever this starts to clear up. One thing that's probably of interest to anyone listening to this podcast is how the disease actually works. Tell us what you learned about COVID-19 from a health standpoint. The American Lung Association set me up with a physician, Dr. John Balms at the University of California, San Francisco, um, who was able to walk me through what's transpiring uh, when someone contracts the virus. And it, it attacks the lungs, namely air sacs in the lungs called the alveoli. You've probably seen that in the news recently. Um, the lining between the alveoli and uh, blood vessels in the lungs. That's where the alveoli get oxygen to the bloodstream. Then the blood is able to pump oxygen through the rest of the body. So everything's working accordingly. Well, the virus attacks that membrane between the blood, uh, bloodstream and the lungs there. And that causes the body to fight it there, have an inflammatory response. Those alveoli get, get flooded uh, in that inflammatory response. And that mitigates their ability to transfer oxygen into the bloodstream. And that's why you're seeing reports of people feeling so weak or short of breath. Uh, it's, it really attacks the lungs directly and an attack on the lungs then affects your respiratory function and, and um, attacks your ability to, to, to function in, in any form and, and makes you winded, tired, and can have much, much far worse um, consequences for those who have a stronger inflammatory response. You're hearing about people who are hospitalized, placed on ventilators because they're not getting enough oxygen into their body and the, the machine has to do that breathing for them in the worst cases. So for an athlete, this is a completely elevated situation. H how does this affect the athlete from a performance standpoint? What are the concerns about how the disease could affect an athlete's livelihood, um, you know, in the short and long term? Sure. So the general data we're seeing and, and what Dr. Baums told me, and we, we talked about at length, was the fact that Yes, there are going to be athletes that are impacted, but they tend not to fall in the main risk categories. Old age, we know, is, is one. Underlying conditions, another. Uh, some athletes may have some underlying conditions. Uh, but generally, for the really, really acute, really, really severe effects of this, we're going to have to be on a ventilator. Most athletes uh, will probably steer clear of that, but that's not to say they won't be affected in some way. 
those who contract the, the virus and have to go, even have to go to the hospital if you don't have to be placed on a ventilator, it's going to be really rough in the near term, but you'll come out of it okay, lung capacity, lung function. It seems likely at least preliminary results are showing should be all right. Um, for those that have to be placed on a ventilator, which I'm sure is bound to happen here in the future again, given the scope, there seems to be less concern, physicians are saying, about longer-term impacts on lung function, but more on the fact that your muscles around your lungs will atrophy if you're placed on a ventilator for an extended period of time. So any athletes that reach that stage will have to rebuild those muscles, the diaphragm, et cetera, uh, to help improve their lung function, get it back to those levels. You know, they place a lot of demand on their bodies, and so that would require some some specialized physical therapy to rebuild those muscles that support the lungs. But again, for the vast majority of athletes, we don't want it's it's not 100%, but for the vast majority, they may experience the very uncomfortable, even the, the quote unquote mild symptoms, or some may be asymptomatic. They'll get through that in the near term. At least that's what the data is showing and the physicians have said. There was one study out of Hong Kong that showed about a quarter of uh, patients who'd been hospitalized had reduced lung function in the near term. But the physician I spoke with mentioned that it's way too early and that's way too small a sample size to draw any conclusions from that. So there very well may be some longer term impacts on lung capacity, but he noted that in comparable afflictions, that tends not to be the case, particularly among younger people, particularly among healthy people. What about the players who are asymptomatic? Should teams be testing the ones that aren't showing any symptoms? So this is something uh, that uh, Dr. Baums really wanted to emphasize with me. He knew we were a, a sports publication and wanted to try to reach the teams, reach the players. His guidance was that, no, you should only be tested just like any other citizen. If you potentially come into contact with somebody or if you're showing symptoms, whatever the criteria may be at the, at the moment, because tests are so scarce and so valuable that they need to be reserved for those who really need them rather than, oh, I'm an athlete, I just want to be tested for my own peace of mind until testing ramps up to a level where that's okay and might not impact someone who's truly sick and truly needs it. Uh, athletes shouldn't be jumping to the front of the line necessarily. That was the message from Dr. Balms. Now you've touched on it a little bit, but I'm wondering, and obviously it's very difficult because, you know, we, you know, unless you had a, a dominant crystal ball, you can't really predict what's going to happen once the pandemic is lifted and it's gone. How will it take athletes for them to get back into physical shape, even if they don't contract COVID-19? Sure. So that varies, varies by sport, varies by athlete, but the general message, I spoke to some prominent athletic trainers, college athletic trainers who you know, are the folks that are on the front lines dealing with medical care with athletes. And they, their general message was that this is not going to be normal. Whenever athletes return pro college, high school, they need to be carefully evaluated. The strength and conditioning coaches need to do careful evaluations of where their cardiovascular and muscular health is and, and, and abilities are. Uh, the athletic trainers need to, you know, take their time with each one and ask about two, three months away, they're training at home, doing maybe new unconventional workouts. Maybe you sprain something or pull something. You need to get a full download on their medical history. Usually, particularly elite level athletes are not away from their medical personnel or strength and conditioning coaches for more than a matter of weeks throughout the year. While they may have contact over the phone, they're going to be physically away from them for a while. So any number of uh, injuries or conditions may have popped up in the interim. And so when they resume training, people need to be careful. The, the general message was we need to approach this with patience. We're all going to be clamoring for sports to come back, right? But the second that we start to see shelter in place orders lifted or mass gathering restrictions eased, 
people are going to say, good, I want the NBA back tomorrow. Well, the athletes have been away from traditional training for quite a while and are going to need some time to ramp up, to acclimatize if you're uh, in a sport that plays in the heat. When football rushes back after time away, these guys' bodies are going to need some time to reacclimate. You can't throw them in at full speed and expect them to come out unscathed. Most of the conversation that we've had on this podcast is about the physical, the physical regimen, the physical needs, but uh, we're also really dealing with the mental aspects of things. Do athletes have access to mental health support, uh, especially right now when they're not able to play the sports they love? Uh, I think it's circumstantial, case by case, uh, depends on the level, but certainly the college athletic trainers I spoke with at the Division One level that's a big part of the contact they're trying to maintain with athletes where the athletic trainers are staying in touch for those say rehabbing from a surgery, giving them at home exercises they can do just the same. They are trying to connect them with the mental health professionals that work with them regularly, or maybe those in their area that they are able to speak with remotely because certainly mental health issues are, are top of mind uh, increasingly. So in normal circumstances and, and resources are being made available to athletes at the college and pro level, uh, more so now than ever before. And just because we're physically removed from each other doesn't mean that um, those resources need to be stripped away. And certainly as we're all isolated, uh, certainly other mental health issues are bound to arise. And the athletic trainers I spoke with said that that's just as important as working with them on their bodies. It's working with them on their on their minds and connecting them with the resources they need uh, while they're isolated and away from their their typical regimens. Not only a fantastic investigative piece, but also extremely valuable in these times. SI contributor Brian Burnset, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Brian's investigation shows us that just because a young athlete may project a healthy individual and, of course, not deem as serious as high-risk groups such as the elderly or those with pre-existing conditions, their situation still presents a unique dilemma. How will the athlete, from amateur to professional, be able to return to condition after a significant time away? And most importantly, if they did contract COVID-19, has this caused a permanent damage to their health even after recovery? The answer, just like the search for normalcy, continues to be worked on. Thanks to Brian Burnsett for joining me today. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.